As tradition here at Maranatha, um, we read God's Word aloud, and uh, we read it standing. So if you please stand with us as we read God's Word aloud. We have Pastor AJ here. He's going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43 for us. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples... Hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood beside him, we, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, AJ. Before we begin today, I want <clears throat> to just start our time in prayer, so please pray with me. Um, Lord, you are holy and perfect and loving and merciful. We thank you for this day that you have blessed us with. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we may behold the wonderful things from your word. Guide us in our understanding of the passage. Take away any distractions, any emotions that may hinder us in our worship of you here today. Lord, as we are here with the saints in a joyous time on this fall day. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. So uh, I'm going to introduce myself really quick before we get into the text, but I'm Justin Bubar. I am uh, over the Connect ministry here, the uh, Connect coordinator here. My wife and I lead a community group on Tuesdays, about like three minutes from the church. So if you're still looking for a church, we've got room because we've recently multiplied um, with uh, Mike and Roxy, and they went with Randy and Sarah Surface here at the church on Tuesdays as well. But if you're looking for a group, we'd love to have you if you're new here or if you're, you've been here and you're like, I still don't have a group. I'll join Justin's group, maybe. Um, we'd love to have you. So um, today uh, we are moving on from, we're transitioning from this, this, the stories about Paul and his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus and him now preaching in synagogues and teaching. And um, now we're moving on to transitioning into Peter's ministry. And right off the bat, we see some miraculous things happen. Today we have two miracles in the text that we've read, which is pretty incredible. Um, but when I first read this text and I first began studying it, um, it's always a tension with the preacher or the, the teacher with miracles, right? Because we all have these preconceived notions about miracles. We love miracles. The world loves miracles. Everyone loves miracles because they're exciting. Because it's, you, when something happens that you can't explain, it makes people wonder. It gives them amazement. So miracles aren't bad in and of themselves, but we always need to step back and check our hearts on why we desire miracles, 
right? We want a proper understanding and a proper part in seeing miracles. And so I hope we do that today in the text and not just see these, these miracles as these physical things, but what they, they show us underlying in the spiritual sense, in the spiritual condition. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for miracles, right? I'm not saying um, that we as a people of God shouldn't pray for miracles. No, I'm, we are all miracles, right? We've been a part of miracles. This church, we have countless stories of miracles that have happened from our church, going out, evangelizing, which is an incredible thing. Amen? But we see here that the, the apostles had this, uh, this incredible amount of authority was the affirmation of the church, the confirmation of the building blocks of the church built on the cornerstone, which we talked about earlier. And we see this throughout the book of, of Acts. Again, if we, miracles aren't bad in what they are, right? But if we desire them just for the miracle, we're missing the point. So as we walk through this passage today, I want us to, to think about the greater purpose of these miracles and what Luke has recorded and what he is inclu- why he includes them in the book of Acts. The two things I want us to, to uh, see today, two messages, two truths that underlying the physical nature, the physical side of these miracles, and you can write these down. The first one being that we were once paralyzed by our sin. We, people of God now, saved by Christ, we were once paralyzed by our sin. And two, we were once dead in our sin. Those are two truths that we, we are communicated from the physical side of this passage today. In our passage, we see the physical consequences of the fall because of our sin. Again, both portray the helpless state of those who are without Christ. Right? This is the reality of the unsaved world around us. They're helpless, they're hopeless because of their sin. They're paralyzed, they're dead spiritually. Let's start in verse 32 today. Verse 32 says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints that lived at Lydda. There he found a a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. So we'll stop there. As we see in the story of Aeneas, that sin affects not just the spiritual side, but our physical nature, right? We, We will all die one day. The morbid truth is that we all die, right, because of sin. That's why death originates from sin. It's a great apologetics question if you talk to someone, hey, where did death originate from? They're like, "Uh, I don't know, I think we just, because we get older and we die. It's like, well, no, it's the consequence of sin, right? Our bodies decay because of sin on this side of heaven. Now, we see this as a, a physical disability because of sin, we don't know if this man, it was his fault, right? We, we have no idea what that was. We just know he's been bedridden because of his paralysis, and we have no reference to why. But here he is, bedridden for eight years. Now, that is a long time. Anyone who's been through a long suffering in their life, eight years, I mean one year, I mean months is long, but eight years bedridden. Now, think about the things that come along with that. Someone who's paralyzed, the, the, the caretaker's life in taking care of this person, the patience they must have, the, the energy they need to have taking care of someone, the discomfort personally for Aeneas to live with paralysis, the loneliness he experiences, not being able to see the world anymore and his friends and his family unless they come to him, right? The daily hygienic care that needs to be happening, right? And the emotional toll and the spiritual toll it takes on someone and the caretakers in this situation, that's a lot. 
Now, by God's grace, he has sovereignly chosen to use Peter to heal this man, to perform a miracle. Praise God. In verse 34, he says, And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. I want to stop us here. Does this, does this sound familiar to anyone, this story? Well, to those of us who have read through the Gospels, we, we might uh, remember the, the echoed story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. His friends uh, ripped the roof off for him to put him down, and then he's healed both physically. That day he says, uh, you're, you're healed, but pick up your mat and walk. And then spiritually he was healed because God said, I forgive, you know, he's forgiven his sins. Here, this echoes the story where Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verse 11, says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We never saw anything like this. Now, the main difference here in the stories is the how. Because we see in Mark 2, Jesus heals by his own accord on his own accord, by his own power, by his own authority. And Peter heals in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' power. He acknowledges that it's not him who's doing the healing, right? As we should, right? Anytime we see a miracle, it's not us, right? Even if we're a part of it. We should never take credit for what is not ours. And the story uh, in Acts 9 here ends in a similar way from Mark chapter 2, verse 12, where it says in Acts 9, 35, it says, And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Amazing. Now, Sharon here is only mentioned only here in the New Testament and is referred to as the plains of Sharon that run uh, along the coast. Um, when I, well, there's a map later. We'll see um, sort of Peter's journey. We'll show you. But both of these miracles have a rippling effect. They go out. When miracles happen, People hear about it because everyone's telling everyone about the amazing thing they just saw. Whether or not they praise God for it, miracles affect people. And they surely did here. The people of the town knew this man and his condition that he'd been paralyzed for eight years. And how much probably people have been praying for him, taking care of him. And now they've confirmed his healing. They saw him and then they turned to the Lord. Amen? And we can presume also that the gospel was indeed presented here. Now, we don't see that. We don't, it doesn't say that. But we know from, from Acts and the New Testament that when miracles happen, the gospel is surely presented, right? I mean, someone, when people are saved, the gospel is presented to them because this is the prescription for salvation. We must respond to the call of the gospel, which is repent and believe. You can't respond to something that you're not told, right? So we can assume this safely, that Peter is saying he had preached the gospel and all these people came to know the Lord. Many turned to the Lord. Praise God for that. We see the power of God here in this first miracle. Now we come to our second miracle in the story. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Now, Joppa is an important uh, Roman-controlled city. It's, a, it's a, a port. And we see, now, G, uh, Peter has been moving out from Jerusalem to Lydda to now Joppa. And uh, he, he's 
the gospel is moving out, right? The, the journey of not just from the Jews anymore, it's moving out towards the rest of the world. We see here now Tabitha, who was a disciple, she's mentioned as a disciple, and based on her name, a Jewish believer who also had a Greek name. So uh, her, Tabitha is actually her Aramaic name, and then Dorcas is her Greek name. They both translate to mean gazelle, which is sort of this graceful woman, right? Which we see that she was full of good works and acts of charity. And she's known for that. She's recorded in the Bible, right? It's important. And it says in verse 37, And in those days she became ill and she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now this part I found interesting when I first read it because I'm like, if she passed away, why did they put her in an upper room? Right? Why didn't they bury her that day? Now, is it that the disciples were expecting something to happen? And then, because they later on found out Peter's near, let's get him here, maybe he'll do something. Or is it that um, because of the, the ceremonial cleansings they, they had done as the Jewish people, um, I found out after some studying that in Jerusalem, they would almost do it immediately. But if you're outside of Jerusalem, you'd have a few days to take care of the body before burying it. So either way, it could be both, both could be true. The disciples maybe knew that they had a few days, and then they hear of Peter being close to summon him. We don't know for sure, but we just know the results come. In verse 38, it says, Since Lydda, or Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent the two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. Now, I think this is where I might have, do I have the map up here? Here we go. So, Peter starts in Jerusalem. He's moving out from Jerusalem to, to Lydda. It's about 30 miles. So 30 mile, if, whether by donkey or by walking. Um, and then to, from Lydda to Joppa, it's about 10 miles. So he'd be, he would have been coming from Lydda in this story, so at about 10 miles, and he could have made that in the day. So we don't know the time of day, but we know he left immediately. He rose up and went with them. So here's just from, in, from Acts 9 through 12, you'll see... Peter's going to be traveling all out throughout the, the, the plains of Sharon, Samaria, and Galilee. So moving back to verse 39, Peter rose up and he went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So Peter arrives um, in the upper room. All these widows are there mourning the loss of Tabitha, their friend. So we see Tabitha was beloved by her community, right? Because of her good works and her acts of charity, she served them faithfully. And they were there at her death. They cared for her. And we know in this time how hard it is to be a widow or an orphan, right? They lost their husband, their, their source of income mostly, and their protector, and so Tabitha was taking care of these, these women, these widows and orphans. The church in the early church was to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We know we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but especially in taking care of widows and orphans because they don't have this type of welfare system that we live in today, right? We have homeless communities we can go to, we can take care of them, we can give them showers, food. That wasn't around then. In the book of James, James tells us that pure and undefiled religion is this, in the sight of our God and Father is to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Tabitha did this. 
She took care of the widows. And they loved her. And they showed that. Maranatha, we too should be known for our good works and our deeds and our acts of charity. And we are, Maranatha. The surrounding cities know of Maranatha because of these things. And we can rejoice in that. We can be encouraged by that. I am encouraged by that. When I got to say, but preaching about this today, I'm like, that's my church, right? I know that we do that. And that is so encouraging that with the call of the gospel, we go out, we proclaim the good news, and we act. Amen? Amen? We are doers of the word. We're not just hearers. I believe that, Maranatha. So in verse 40, it says that Peter put them all outside, and he knelt down, and he prayed. And he turned to the body. He said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. Incredible. She's alive. Tabitha is alive by the power of Jesus. Amen. And they all came back in and they confirmed that she was alive. Now, a fun fact for those that like fun facts and like to write them down. Um, this is the, the first time we see the word saints in the book of Acts. Now, we saw it in verse 32, uh, but now we see it again here. Uh, it's the first time it's used, other than just saying disciples. Um, that's all I have. That's the fun fact. Um, <laughs> um, but also, you might be thinking this story also sounds familiar. Because it is. Also reading through the Gospels. In Mark chapter 5, it echoes the story of Jesus healing Jairus' daughter. Right? Both, incidents, both incidents happened when the healer was absent and had to be summoned. Jesus was summoned. Peter was summoned. Jesus put out the noisy mourners. Here we see Peter put out the, those that were weeping and mourning, the widows. He puts them out of the room. Jesus took Jairus' daughter by the hand and says in Aramaic, Talitha kum which means little girl, rise up or get up. And unlike Jesus, again, we see the difference here. Peter could not speak on his own authority, nor would he ever dare, right? And he didn't. He shows us what we, we should do in our dependence on God is he knelt and he prayed, right? He, he knelt and he prayed. His, in his humility, showing, I, I really don't have this power to do this. My Savior, my King, my God has the power to do this. And he prays to him. And then after, he turns to the body. And then just with one letter that's different from Jesus' word, he says, Tabitha, kum. Just, Tabitha, rise up. This is another example of, of Peter not, he's teaching us not to take the credit for the Lord's doing. But again, show our dependence upon the true resurrection and life, that is in Jesus. Amen? And we end our story with, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed, that is Peter, in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a man named Simon, who was a tanner. I want to mention something that's happening in the story, sort of we talked about um, with the, the map but there's a transition in this early period of the church from just evangelism from Jews to Jews now, those that are saved, the apostles who were Jews, now going out to the, the Jewish population. But now it's going to the Gentile world. Because this is a Gentile area. And this is an incredible thing, actually, that's happening in 
Peter's heart is because he stays with a tanner. Now, what we know about tanners is that it was a smelly occupation because they dealt with dead animal skins. And they'd have to live miles outside of cities because no one wants to be around them, right? So they're like social outcasts. And Peter stays with one, right? He's still, in the coming uh, chapters, we will see that Peter's prejudices are, are being torn down, right? The barrier between the hostility between the Jews and Gentiles is still being broken down by the gospel. And Peter's a part of that. He's a big part of that. So he's in this Gentile population, and he stays with him. Again, that's a huge thing that's happening here in this transitioning period of the book of Acts that we get to see. This is showing us that the message of the gospel is breaking down barriers from all people groups, all social groups. And we'll see even in chapter 10, Peter gets his vision Right? And God tells him that what was unclean is now clean. Now we can eat those animals that I, used to, I set you apart with, but now they're clean. Right? There's no more. He's truly, that the gospel is spreading to the Gentiles and the rest of the world. It's permeating to the ends of the earth now. We get to see this as a glorious thing. With that being said, I want to go back to, to the true purpose of these miracles in the text. And we see the true purpose that Luke tells us in verse 35 and in verse 42. I'm going to say, he says that many turned to the Lord and many believed in the Lord. This is the true purpose of miracles, that people turn to the Lord. Now, by Luke recording these miracles, he not only shows us that Jesus has the power to heal us physically, but he has the power to heal us spiritually, to save us for eternity. And he shows us the power of the gospel to transform sinners like us. Amen? It teaches us, the stories teach us about the physical condition of Aeneas and Tabitha represent the spiritual condition of every person outside of Christ. Sinners who are paralyzed and helpless and dead in their sin. And by nature, we are all born sinners, spiritually paralyzed, spiritually dead. We are unable to free ourselves from this sinful state and to live in a manner pleasing to God. Before we were saved in Christ, even our good works, again, were filthy rags in God's sight. We need, to be, we need a resurrection to occur in our hearts. We need, we need new hearts. Amen. We have a spiritual inability before we knew Christ to seek God, right? Romans 3, 10 through 12 tells us like, no one seeks after God. No one is good. All have turned aside. Ephesians 2, 1, we were dead in our sin and our trespasses. Then shortly after, Ephesians 2, 5 says, we've been made alive in Christ, amen? He made us alive. This is all God's doing. Since we have no power to make ourselves alive spiritually, just as we didn't physically, we didn't choose our parents to birth us, right? Romans 8, 6 through 9 says this about our, our spiritual condition. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the, the, the spirit is life and peace. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Paul's talking to believers here. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. We have this inability because our flesh is hostile toward God. We, we were alienated from God. We hated God. We were under God's wrath before we were saved because of our spiritual condition and our nature. It says, for it to, we, our flesh didn't submit to God's law because it wasn't able to. That is why we need new hearts. That's why we need to be resurrected spiritually and given life because we can't give ourselves life. Amen? Only Christ can do that. Only Christ Jesus, God in the flesh, can do that. Maranatha, I pray that these miracles are a reminder to us that the act in which we are saved is a miracle in itself. This church is filled with miracles. I'm looking at them because none of us could do that. None of us save ourselves. Every church in the whole world is filled with miracles because we can't save ourselves. The act in which that, that occurs is a miracle. We were once paralyzed in our sin, helpless, unable, dead in our sin, but now we are alive in Christ. Amen? By Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, he's the only one who can save us. He's the only one to, to heal us physically and spiritually. He is our good shepherd who died for his sheep. He's our great physician. We see that in the text. And he's the resurrection and life. The church was blood-bought for his own possession. Amen? And what a good God we serve, right? Jesus' death accomplished this. This is the greater purpose of the, miracle, of the miracles that we see. The physical miracles is to help us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? Our risen Savior, focus on him and not the miracles themselves because we miss the point when we do that. These miracles should serve in uh, the purpose in stirring our hearts and our affections for God, our great God, and hopefully lead us to say something like, what a great God we serve. Amen? Amen. Salvation is a supernatural act of God. It's not natural. It's supernatural because it comes from God himself. It is a miracle that any of us sit here today. It is a miracle, and we can praise God for that. We need to remember that the gospel is nothing less than the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. Paul tells us this in Romans 1.16. I am unashamed because it is the power of God for salvation. Amen. That's why we can be empowered as the people of God to go out and proclaim God's message, proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, because God is the one doing the saving, not us, right? What can man do to us, right? Whom shall we fear? No one but God Almighty, amen? So I pray, Maranatha, that this truth, these truths in the text, not just the physical side of these miracles, but the spiritual side and what God has taken us from, these truths make us so bold in proclaiming the gospel and have so much fervor and, and confidence that we would go out today and do that, right, this week. Think about the ones, your, your loved ones, the lost ones you work with. Pray for them. Open that door for that spiritual conversation with them. Ask them how they're doing. Invite them to church. 
Right? We just put in the group me this week of how does the churches grow? The majority of churches grow because you invite people. People you know, they trust you in your character and we're witnesses of Christ. That's why we need to be good ones. Acts of uh, good works and acts of charity we need to be known by. So then they trust, people will trust us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and who you are. Thank you for our salvation, which was purchased by Jesus' death. And because of your great love for humanity, you reached down and snatched us from our spiritual graves that we were in. You gave us new life that's only found in your son, Jesus. We are thankful that now we are your people. And you've blessed us with one another, the unity of the saints, all based on the message of your son and the life you give us. We're called now to go to the ends of the earth proclaiming this gospel message that Peter has, has told and Paul and all the apostles and people in the, in the book, in this great book that we get to have every day and read, the Bible. Make us bold. Strengthen our faith as we go out to accomplish this in our lives. We love you, Lord. We know you love us. This church is proof, and your son is living proof of that. We pray all these things in your precious son's name. Amen.